The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, or for prevention, diagnosis, or treatment of any other illness. Always consult with a mental health or healthcare professional before engaging in any activities promoted in this podcast. Have you ever wanted to be a superhero? Join clinical psychologist Dr. Janina Scarlett and host Dustin McGinnis as they explore the psychology behind your favorite TV shows, movies, books, comics, video games, and more. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Superhero Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I am Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time geek. Yeah! Today we're going to talk, or should I say, we're going to return to Stranger Things. This is the third season, and we did a podcast quite a while ago. We love this franchise. It is so much fun, and this third season does not disappoint. And there will be a lot of spoilers in this episode, so be warned. So, why don't we start out with discussing trauma, specifically how it affects Joyce and Will after what happened in season two. I think after Bob's death, Joyce is still seeing reminders of him. She's seeing drawings of him. When she steps into the power plant, she sees the spot where he was killed and she remembers him. Will remembers also the different spots where he was taken over and kidnapped and brought into the Upside Down and attacked by the monster. And there are times that he still experiences the effects of it. And of course, when the monster returns, Will starts feeling a similar kind of feeling of goosebumps, that feeling in the back of his neck with his hair standing up and over time he's starting to realize that this is not just a memory this is this is the monster returning kind of like little spider senses or some kind of awareness or some kind of thing like harry potter and his scar so after the events of the last season nancy and jonathan get an internship with a newspaper and there are extreme instances of sexism at the workplace oopsie daisy <laughs> Careful there, Nancy Drew. Careful. (laughs) Pouring coffee's a tough gig, right? Would you mind discussing sexism specifically through the way that Nancy was treated in these scenes? Absolutely. When the two of them oversleep, for example, she is terrified of the way that the others would treat her. And when Jonathan says, don't worry, we're not going to be in trouble, she says you won't be in trouble, that they like you, you can do no wrong, but you don't know what it's like. You don't know what it's like to be treated the way that I am. And I think that to me, it means that he doesn't understand what it's like to be a woman in a workplace like it. We see her repeatedly trying to talk to her bosses and her coworkers about stories and them making fun of her, disregarding her, making sexual innuendos, 
and only treating her as an assistant, as somebody whose job it is to only bring them coffee. They clearly don't see her as a reporter, despite her demonstrated reporting skills, and they don't take her seriously. They keep on repeatedly telling her that she has the one job, and that's bringing them coffee and donuts, basically. Death of small town America. I like it. I like it a lot. But I think I've got something even spicier. It's about the missing mustard on my hamburger. <laughs> you think you can follow the clues and solve the case of the missing condiment, Nancy Drew? <laughs> it's really unfortunate the way that they keep on making fun of her and not taking her seriously. None of it has anything to do with her talent, and it has everything to do with her gender. Another interesting situation that deals with gender is the relationship between Hopper and Elle. Hopper has now adopted Elle. His parenting styles are a little overprotective, to say the least. Hey! Hey! Three-inch minimum! Leave the door open three inches! L, open this door. Open. What's wrong? Can you discuss his parenting style as well as how he uses it to build a connection with Joyce? I think that overprotective is a really good description here. I think that he's definitely overprotective with L and likely it's because of his own family that he's lost. I think he's terrified of something happening to Elle and of her perhaps dying the way that his own daughter had died. At the same time, he's also not being very fair to her. She is a young girl who is in a relationship who wants to spend all her time with her boyfriend, understandably. His efforts to break them up are really crossing the line. I think that had Elle been a boy, he might have treated her differently. It's understandable that he might want their door to be open at least three inches and also to insist that they don't spend every day together and to purposely try to break them up and to force Mike to lie to Elle about his sick grandmother is not appropriate and it violates father-daughter trust. In his communication with Joyce, Hopper learned how to practice compassionate and assertive communication, but when he first started trying it, it didn't really work the way he had intended, so he reverted to the only mechanism that he knows, which is to use fear and intimidation. Your mom called. What? Yeah. She needs you home right away. Is everything okay? No, I don't think so. It's your grandma. Is she dead? No. Did she fall again? No. Does she have cancer? No. Then I don't understand what's wrong with Nana. Nothing. There's nothing wrong with Nana. What? But there's something very wrong with this thing between you and Elle. You're crazy. Crazy. You want to see real crazy? You disrespect me again. Okay. You 
drive you home. And I'm gonna speak, and you're going to listen. And then maybe, maybe by the end of it, maybe if you're lucky, maybe I will continue to allow you to date my daughter. Not if you understand. It might work in him being a sheriff, but it doesn't work in father-child relationships. Although it might allow for short-term results, it ultimately can lead to long-term resentment and additional fighting, which is what happens when Elle finds out that he had lied to her. We're also seeing Hopper here trying to get closer to Joyce when it comes to them bonding over him learning how to practice assertive communication. What now? And then Elle, she just slams the door right in my face. Uh-huh. You know, it is that smug son of a bitch, Mike. He's corrupting her, I'm telling you. And I'm just going to lose it. I mean, I'm going to lose it, Joyce. Just take it down, Hopper. I need for them to break up. That is not your decision. They're spending entirely too much time together. You agree with me about that, right? Well, I mean, they're just kissing, right? Yeah, but it is constant. It is constant, okay? That is not normal. That is not healthy. You can't just force them apart. I mean, they're not little kids anymore, Hop. They're teenagers. If you order them around like a cop, then they're gonna rebel. It's just what they do. Well, so what? I'm just supposed to let them do whatever they want? No, I didn't say that. I think you should talk to them. No, no, because talking doesn't work. Not yelling, not ordering. Talk to them. Oh, like a heart-to-heart. -heart. A heart-to-heart? -heart? What is that? You sit them down and you talk to them like you're their friend. I find if you talk to them like you're on their level, then they really start to listen. And then, you know, you could start to create some boundaries. Boundaries? Yeah, but, ha, it's really important that no matter how they respond, you stay calm. You cannot lose your temper. I think in the two of them, having survived together the awful monster attacks that they have over the past few years, I think he probably feels a sense of connection with her. And in learning how to express himself, I think that he also wants to learn to connect with her as well. We're seeing him make multiple efforts to try to take her out on a date. He even dresses up in a nice little Hawaiian shirt. He <laughs> even dresses up and he makes reservations at a fancy restaurant. But the one thing he's lacking, of course, is the most important skill, which is letting people know how he feels. So that means letting Joyce know how he feels and what he wants. And instead, just kind of either trying to make these grandiose gestures or trying to be intimidating and forceful or yelling and acting in an intimidating manner, which doesn't really help him to get his point across and doesn't help him to let people know how much he cares about them. If he just sticks with his heart, like he did after him and Joyce scripted that whole response to Elle, and he just went with his heart and wrote his own thing, Man, it was beautiful, and I think it established some really good parenting feelings. Jesus. <laughs> the truth is, if 
for so long, I'd forgotten what those even were. I'd been stuck in one place, in a cave, you might say, a deep, dark cave. And then I left some egos out in the woods, and you came into my life, and for the first time in a long time, I started to feel things again. I started to feel happy. But lately, I guess I've been feeling distant from you. Like you're, you're pulling away from me or something. I miss playing board games every night. Making triple-decker ego extravaganzas at sunrise. Watching westerns together before we doze off. But I know you're getting older. Growing. Changing. And I guess, if I'm being really honest, that's what scares me. I don't want things to change. So I think maybe that's why I came in here, to try to maybe stop that change. To turn back the clock, to make things go back to how they were. But I know that's naive. It's just not how life works. It's moving, always moving, whether you like it or not. And yeah, sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's sad. And sometimes it's surprising, happy. So you know what? Keep on growing up, kid. Don't let me stop you. Make mistakes, learn from them. And when life hurts you, because it will, Remember the hurt. The hurt is good. It means you're out of that cave. But please, if you don't mind, for the sake of your poor old dad, keep the door open three inches. We were talking about Elle, and Mike and her are in a relationship now, and they've been smooching for the past six months or something with the door three inches open. What this season is dealing with now is the kids are growing up and discovering these broader interests. A few of them are dating and are in romantic relationships. Some others are struggling to retain all those interests and games and playfulness that they had with this group, playing D&D and things like that. What can this say with regard to growing up and the importance of friendship and these moments together? I think that our friends, our best friends, are kind of like our first love. I think that these are the people that we start exploring our interests with. These are the people that we trust. These are the people that we really care about. And when things start to change, when they start to date, and when we start to grow up, we might feel almost as if our love is changing, as if our heart is breaking. For Will especially, who had experienced so much trauma of being taken into the upside down 
and being separated from his friends and already feeling more alone than any of them in terms of not being able to have them relate to him in his experiences and seeing all of them starting to date I think that he is possibly trying to hold on to the quieter times, the safer times, the times before they had girlfriends, the times before the mind flare. I think that for him, having the four of them together playing D&D is a reminder of what life was like before the trauma and I think it's really important to him. Can we please play D&D now? No! Now can we play D&D? No. What are you doing? Yeah, well, can you turn down the music? Please address me by my full name. What? My full name! Oh my god, okay. Will the wise, can you please turn down the music? That is not music. That is the sound of destiny. I have seen into the future, and I've seen that today is a new day. A day free of girls. What is happening right now? Well, come on. A tribe of villagers are under threat from an evil force from the swamps of Kuzaton. Well, it's so early. Is it? Is it early, Michael? Tell that to the villagers crying for your help. The children so frightened they cannot sleep. Are you truly going to let them perish? Or are you going to come to their rescue and become the heroes you were always meant to be? Oh. Can I at least take a shower first? We were discussing parenting styles, and also in this season, we have a little bit of a taste of a horrible parenting style. We see just how bad Billy was abused and how much he suffered through. We see his traumatic childhood and how bad it really was. How can someone's abusive childhood shape their development and their treatment towards other people? Well, everyone reacts differently to trauma and some people when they had been abused can become more compassionate and protective of others. We see that in Elle. She had experienced significant abuse and trauma in her life and because of that she's very protective of her friends. And then we see Billy who had not only experienced severe emotional and physical abuse at the hands of his dad but also lost his mom because of his dad and had to very quickly get used to this new family, this new sister and this new mom that came into his life. For some people who experience trauma, they might be so hurt that they might start to lash out and hurt other people. There's an expression, hurt people, hurt people. And what that means is that people who are emotionally injured might sometimes lash out on other people. And I think that's what Billy starts doing. He unfortunately exerts all of his pain onto others. We learn in season two just how abusive his father is and now we're starting to see even more of that. We learned about how much his father had to do with his mother's death and how abusive he was. That pain I think is what might have led Billy to become the abuser that he did and somebody that didn't really care about consequences, somebody that was so easy to turn into a monster, but somebody that still had that bit of humanity, that broken heart that he was carrying that Elle was able to tap into and connect with through her very compassionate sense. 
Seven feet. We ran to her on the beach. There were seagulls. She wore with a blue ribbon, a long dress, with a blue and red flower, yellow, yellow sandals covered in sand. She was pretty. That was beautiful how she brought that whole memory back for him to see and how he risked his life to save her. That was a beautiful scene. We were able to see that even as his body was taken over by this monster, there was still a human being in there. There was still a heart that he had that once that heart was able to be accessed, he was able to protect his little sister, Max, and he was able to protect other people. We know that this is set in the midst of the Cold War, but what does the villainous Russian trope say with regard to perpetuating these stereotypes? I guess that was my only issue with the show is that there were multiple times when the characters kind of kept repeating that like, oh, evil Russians or evil Russian spies. And back then and also now, unfortunately, there are so many posts about evil Russians or Russian people being somehow badly intentioned or wanting to cause trouble or worse. And I can't even tell you how many comments I've gotten like that in my life in terms of me being Russian, in terms of hearing that I must be a part of some kind of a mafia or the other side of it, of course, hearing that Russian girls are somehow in the sex trade or sex workers or that we're mail order brides and the portrayal of Russian or any individuals as stereotypes I think can be very harmful to people who are being labeled in this way but also to people who perceive others in this way. I've met a lot of people who've told me that when they were growing up they grew up in the part of town that had never seen Russian people before and they were convinced that all Russian people were evil and I had one person who told me that they were convinced that Russian people had glowing red eyes. Oh my goodness. You know, my eyes are not glowing red usually. But you're wearing red sunglasses. <laughs> but I think that the kind of stereotypes that we're seeing can be really damaging sometimes. With the exception of the Russian stereotype, this show does a great job of representing diversity through age and race and LGBTQ representations. How important are these representations to have out there? 
I think extremely important. We're able to see a greatly diverse cast. We're seeing people of multiple races and sexual orientations, which is wonderful. We meet a new character, Robin, that Steve is working with, and we learn later that she is a lesbian. Listen to me, Steve. It's shocked me to my core, but I like you. I really like you, but I'm not like your other friends, and I'm not like Nancy Wheeler. Robin, that's exactly why I like you. Do you remember what I said about Click's class? About me being jealous and, like, obsessed? Yeah. It isn't because I had a crush on you. It's because she wouldn't stop staring at you. Mrs. Click? Tammy Thompson. I wanted her to look at me. But she couldn't pull her eyes away from you and your stupid hair. And I didn't understand because you would get bagel crumbs all over the floor. And you asked dumb questions and you were a douchebag. And you didn't even like her, and I would go home and just scream into my pillow. Tammy Thompson's a girl. Steve. Yeah? Oh. Oh. There's also, at one point, I think it was Mike that yelled at Will, saying, it's not my fault you don't like girls. And I wasn't sure if that statement meant that Will is not interested in dating or if that meant that Will is either asexual or gay or, or queer somehow. I wasn't sure what that statement meant, but it seems like we're starting to see quite a bit of diversity in the show. We're starting to have new characters like Erica, for example, uh, become a more prominent character in the show. It's really nice to see more characters with a variety of different representations here. We cannot discuss Stranger Things without talking about my favorite character, Dustin. I wonder why he's your favorite character, <laughs> Dustin. <laughs> well, I mean, he shares my name, which makes him super cool already, but the kid is cool. Him and Erica, as you mentioned, are super nerds in this. I love it. Dustin even creates a long-distance ham radio he calls Cerebro, which is a gracious nod to the X-Men, just to talk to his girlfriend that he met at Super Nerd Camp. I can't remember what it was called. <laughs> which, how cute were they? That was so cute. The never-ending story. Isn't it Camp Nowhere? Camp Nowhere, but K-N-O-W. Yep. I love it. 
So what does it say to have nerds represented in such a heroic light? I loved it because Erica is so sassy. She spent a really long time trying to pretend that she is not a nerd, but of course, definitely advocating for herself for getting herself really excellent deals in terms of all the ice cream that she can get and definitely talking about serious issues like child abuse and situations in which child endangerment can happen. And Dustin is able to realize that she's really good at math. Mm -hmm. And when he calls her out on it initially, of course, she's offended at being called a nerd. You need help with that? No. Well, I mean, it's taken a while since Yeah, no shit, Sherlock. All right, so if we don't find a more efficient method to stop these fans, we're never going to find help. And your ice cream buddies are screwed. Yeah, with that attitude they are, Jesus. I'm just being realistic. I mean, we made it about 0.3 miles in nine hours. Then we had to walk three hours down that tunnel, so I'd estimate 10 miles back to the elevator, which should take us approximately 12 and a half days. Did you just do all of that in your head? I'm good with numbers. Holy shit, you're a nerd. Come again? You are a nerd. Okay, you better take that back, nerd. Can't put the truth back in the box. But it's not the truth. Let's examine the facts, shall we? Fact one, you're a math whiz, apparently. That was a pretty straightforward equation. Fact number two, you're a political junkie. Just because I don't agree with communism as an ideology. Fact number three, you love My Little Pony. And what does My Little Pony have to do with this? <sighs> Let's recall the pony's latest adventure, shall we? The evil centaur demon Tyrek turns Applejack into a dragon at Midnight Castle, and then Megan and the other ponies have to use Mutix magic to defeat his rainbow of darkness, saving them from a lifetime of enslavement. All the pink in the world can't disguise the irrefutable fact that centaurs and castles and dragons and magic are all standard nerd tropes. Ergo, My Little Pony is nerdy. Ergo, you, Erica, are a nerd. And how do you know so much about My Little Pony? Because I'm a nerd. We see that Actually, being a nerd is a great thing, and we can own it and flaunt it and be proud of our nerd identity. And so I loved how the show allowed characters to be proud of who they are, whether they're a nerd or whether they have a specific interest, whoever they are. I loved how this season really advocated for being proud of your identity. I love that whole connection between Dustin and Erica, and I loved how he passed the torch and gave her the box of Dungeons and Dragons manuals and things, and he passed the torch down to her. It was just a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed their connection. This episode really dives into sacrifice, sacrificing oneself for their core values and the greater good, which we all know is what defines heroism. We see Hopper and Billy both lose their lives to make a difference. What does this suggest about core values and standing up for what we believe in? Core values and heroism does not necessarily mean that we have to give up our lives for what we believe in. It means standing up for what we believe in, not just standing back and watching the world burn. It means taking action. It means bonding together. It means that even a small action can make a really big difference. It's standing up to injustice, whether it's the mind flayer or corrupt politicians, such as the mayor that we saw in this series. It means being able to call out when something isn't right and standing for what we believe in. 
not allowing injustice to continue. Whether it's Nancy or Hopper or Billy or whoever it is standing up for what's right. Absolutely. I think that's a wonderful place to end this episode of Superhero Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. Again, my name is Dustin McGinnis. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on Twitter at Shadow Quill or on Instagram, Dr. Janina Scarlett Official. Thank you so much for tuning in and have a wonderful day.